You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Andy Squires again. This is the Queen City Church podcast. We're also filming it, so some of you might be watching it online. So thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, watching this. I am here with my good friend, Adam Fidel. Hey, Adam, how's it going? How's it going? Uh, Adam is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Did I say that That's right? right? That's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, for those of you who listened last week, we had Adam on, and uh, this is part two, and we've been just talking uh, about the issues surrounding the quarantine that we've all been living in uh, from more of a therapist perspective sure. which does include some spiritual stuff absolutely. right yep absolutely. but but we've been we've been having a conversation about how to deal with all of the things that we're living through right now more from a clinical perspective maybe right yeah so sure. um uh, hey before uh, we dive deep into some of the nuts and bolts of of uh, moving from unhealthy thought patterns to healthy thought patterns. Would you do me a favor and talk about something a little bit that I've been thinking about? Um, so here we are. We're broadcasting this hope and our hope is that people will, will hear this and be helped. But I would say that this format definitely has its limitations. Hearing a sermon or a podcast is not the same thing as going to therapy, is it? Right. right? That's, that's right. Okay. Sure. So do you ever, Adam, get questions from people who are trying to reconcile therapy as a, as a legitimate form of discipleship? Sure. Is, All the time. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so part of, I think what's important to understand about what therapy is, uh, one, it's not replacing um, you know, scripture or prayer or a relationship with God or pastors, right? It's not meant to, yeah. it's, it's meant to come alongside of that. Okay. And I mean, that concept also comes from the idea of the corner. Yes. Right? So that it's the same. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see it. The the thing to remember, I think from a, a, a faith perspective or a Christian perspective is, um, you know, I, I don't think God's against science. Amen. Like I don't, I don't, you know, we have our minds and our hearts and our understanding Yeah. because he, gave them to us and allowed us to develop them and right. they've evolved and gotten stronger and we've gotten wiser and we can do things that we should be really grateful that we can do. Yeah. Um, because of science. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to remember too about therapy is if you're going to see a therapist, hopefully they understand the functioning mm. of, you know, your, uh, neurologically or in your emotions and like relational dynamics. Yeah. The same way that you would, hopefully trust that a doctor, if you're going in for surgery yeah. or an architect building a building or a home, come on, or, um, you know, any, anyone that understands the functioning, um, someone who an aircraft, uh, yeah. right. If someone, a pilot knows the functioning of a plane, mm-hmm. like you hope that they know that before they get behind the yeah. wheel of a plane before you get on it. Right. Right. So therapists in neuroscience informs our field. Uh, the study of human behavior and systems and emotions, uh, especially over the last hundred years has evolved. Like we, we're, it's good that we know things. Yeah. Um, and that informs the modalities and the techniques and the practice 
of good therapy. So I can be a legitimate Christian, Jesus follower. Sure. I can go to church every Sunday and, and partake in the hearing of the word. I can pray. We yep. have a high value on prayer. Uh, I can, I can participate in all of the life of the church. And in the same way that I take my car to a mechanic or I go for my yearly checkup at the doctor, mm -hmm. I can also go and to, to my uh, marriage and family therapist for work on my, on my mind. Yep. You and know? your heart. And my heart. And yes. your relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I think part of that is, um, part of my work, even since I've been in practice is trying to kind of dismantle some of that between those two worlds, um, wow. that they're not separate. Right. Um, and I don't think, you know, therapy is not going to solve all your problems. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, um, and neither is church, neither just going to church, <laughs> right. is going to solve all your problems. Right. right. Just going to the doctor for your checkup once a year is yeah. not going to make you healthier. Right. Right. So there is perspective mm -hmm. in terms of what it is and how it can be helpful. Um, and you know, it should be clear your, you play a huge part in that, mm -hmm. right? There's, right. There's a responsibility on clients too. Like yeah. They need to know why they're coming in. Sure. Uh, they have things to do often like that they have to do outside of the therapy room that help them move forward. Yeah. The same way that if you come and someone comes to church, um, there's things that they need to be doing that help strengthen their relationship with God. If right. they just come on Sunday and they do not, they have no friends, they have no mm -hmm. community, they don't tithe, they don't read the word, they don't pray. Yeah. They're going to come back next week and I don't, maybe not a whole lot has changed or shifted or been meaningful for them. Mm. And so it, it's not just about walking in the door. Yeah. So maybe the idea of having all your problems go away is, uh, is a false premise sure. anyway, because I don't go to, I don't, I don't engage in, in church life because I, I have this belief that the pastor is going to tell me all this advice so that all my problems can go away. It really, the, the benefits that I get are so much actually better than my problems going away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have, I, there's, there's the relationship that my, my relationship with God gets better or it grows my relationship with the people that I go to church with, uh, you know, is growing. And I, I would say that, uh, in, in, in a similar way, in engaging with a therapist is not necessarily making my problems go away. It's maybe helping me have a better internal world that allows me to navigate the actual world in a healthier way. Would that be a fair assessment? That's great. Yep. Yeah. So, therapy can be looked at as training, right? We're mm. trying to train your heart and your mind to be in the healthiest place that it can be, to work wow. through whatever, again, crisis, discomfort, pain, uh, beliefs about yourself or, or actual relational crisis, right? Wow. We're, we're trying to train you, give you techniques and actually change. You can update, you know, your neural networks and deal, learn how to regulate your own emotions Okay. through some of these practices. So if you do that and you, you integrate them, you discipline yourself to do them, then at some point you don't, maybe you don't need therapy, right? Sure. You've learned or sure. developed enough. You got tools in your toolbox. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I just want to reiterate for this episode, this is a just a two-part little mm -hmm. series that we're doing with you. And, uh, and I want to say to the folks that are listening that the reason why we're doing this is that Robin and I have just 
uh, well, actually Robin was thinking through it one day and brought it up to me that, um, folks at home during the quarantine stuck, stuck at home. Uh, there's a lot of potential for, uh, a lot of undealt with things that we have internally have the opportunity to be well come to the surface yeah Yeah, however you want to say that you know uh so um you you and i when we were talking offline we were talking about uh well and we talked about this last week these three categories that you mentioned there was pain Mm -hmm. there was grief and there was shame and and i had never really categorize those three states like that in my mind, although I have experienced all three to one degree or another. And when I was thinking about it, Adam, I was thinking about how, uh, pain that, that I, I've, I've had experience with pain. I've had experience with grief, like real grief, but I, if I'm being honest with you, I think the thing that maybe has the greatest amount of torment. I, I, I don't walk around feeling shamed or shameful. I'm not generally a shame filled person, right. but when I have experienced shame within my body, I have to say of those three things, probably shame has had the greatest effect on me. Sure. It's closed me off the most, yep. you know, do you, um, do you have any sense of that when you're dealing with folks that shame is a very powerful dynamic in people's hearts and yeah, minds? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think shame is probably, probably one of the most, um, destructive, uh, states that people find themselves in. Ah, so um, interesting. So in the, in the right way to think about shame is that, um, because, you know, pain, it's like if you, if you punch me, I'm going to feel pain. I know where that came from. Yeah. Right. So it's like Andy just punched me. My nose hurts. Yeah. Right. So that pain will, will eventually go away. Yes. Shame. Um, one way to think about shame, shame is internalized beliefs or perceptions or thoughts that were interjected. And what that means is they were internalized mm. based on experience that you've had. Most of that is going to be anchored back in earlier childhood. Right. So messages oh, wow. that you internalize. Yeah. Uh, and the problem with that is, is once you've internalized it, you know, shame is a statement of I am, mm. right? So mm. I am unworthy or I am unvaluable. Yeah. Not that, um, you know, uh, as a therapist, I'm not like, I might not be great at being a therapist one day. Mm. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I should quit therapy and never be a therapist again. Right. right? But shame will tell you that. Shame yes. will tell you yes. you shouldn't be doing this at all because it's not valuable. You're yeah. un, it's you're worthless. Or yeah. you know, so um the counter what's interesting about shame is the the same side of the same coin. So narcissism and shame are two sides of the same coin. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so and you can think of narcissism as pride. Okay. Right? And so pride or narcissism and it doesn't mean that you're narcissistic yeah. necessarily, but we do all, we all have tendencies that we're dealing with think overwhelmingly positive thoughts about ourselves. Okay. Right. And having those thoughts are protecting or countering the pain. Wow. Right. So if I don't want to feel like I'm unworthy or mm. I'm not good enough, 
then uh, I will I will act out or create uh, an arena or live from a place that is I'm better than I deserve, right? Yeah. Um, you owe me, yeah, right. So, um, so one is, you know, one is pride driven and and probably a little tyrannical. One is shame driven. The other side of the coin is shame driven, um, and you know you essentially become a slave to that, mm. right? If that's the core of what you believe about yourself, mm. and so. Um, dealing with shame, uh, you and Robin had talked about this previously too. Um, there's an element of surrendering to it, like taking ownership of what it is so that you actually then can deal with it. And even in the, the shame and the narcissism, the, I would say what splits those two things is, uh, in the clinical world is known as what's objective reality that's directly connected to humility, right? So being, being able to, truthfully see yourself mm. not just through the eyes of let's say the shame came from your parents yeah you're you have to be able to separate out a little bit and detach so that you can recognize that your parents were acting something out that wasn't necessarily true but that you took it in and, and mm. you've lived you're living with it now yeah right so the, the reality is the objective reality is it's likely that you perceive something at a young age mm. that wasn't actually true in terms of your identity mm. Right. Yeah. You know, you can, even when I'm working with clients, um, when you can help them separate that out, um, and see the truth of, uh, you know, we have perceptions, especially as young kids developmentally, we can't understand things that we can understand now. Sure. So like if, if I get mad at one of my children, right. And I have this, you know, angry look on my face, they can capture that image. Yeah. Um, and that can, you know, you know, my, you know, he's really mad at me. He doesn't love me. Yeah. Right. That's not what I was communicating. I was just mad because you, you know, threw your food on the floor or whatever you did. Right. Right. So, um, but those things get internalized, Mm -hmm. right. That Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. And then we'll build on top of that. That's right. So I want to tell you this story that happened to me, uh, this past week, I went on a walk with Amy and our kids, my wife and kids and, uh, Henry and I, we had our fishing poles and we were walking along the banks of the river. I took my fishing pole. I cast it out, but I unfortunately got my lure stuck in a tree. Okay. About 15 minutes later, I was walking with Amy and Henry goes out to the edge of the, the river and he throws his line out and he gets his, his lure stuck in a tree. Yeah. And the fascinating thing that like every family that's listening to this can relate to this because we went from zero to 75 in like under three seconds because I yelled at Henry and I said, Henry, what the heck are you doing? Right. You, know, you just got that thing stuck in a tree. And I, and I was, I was angry with him, Sure, but I wasn't angry with him. I was just communicating my annoyance that I was going to have to go get that lure out of the tree. Right. Sure. As soon as those words came out of my mouth, I could see this crushing happening in his face, mm. right? Yeah. But, but things are never quite as simple as that in, in a family life. My wife turns to me and she starts calling me out for calling my son out sure. for the, the, for doing the exact same thing I had done 15 minutes. Right. 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 And, and then all of a sudden there's marital discord between Amy right. and I, right? So we kind of regroup. We're not good with each other, but we continue walking down the path. And Amy and I are trying to kind of like figure out why we're at odds with each other. 
And so we're kind of coming into proximity with each other again. And it was so interesting because I was able to, this doesn't always happen, by the way. I seeing Henry's face and, and owning what I saw on him made me realize why I reacted to Amy after she got on me for doing that and I blew up at her. Do you know what my number one motivating, the reason why I yelled at her back was because I was ashamed. Hmm. It was so interesting. So I had, and, and I was able to articulate that to Amy. I said, you know, honey, I'm really sorry that I, I yelled at you, but when you yelled at me, I felt so ashamed. I felt ashamed. I felt humiliated because you were calling me out. But what I realized was that I was feeling the exact same thing that Henry was feeling when I called him out, you know? So I'm, I'm only telling you all that because man, shame is a powerful, right? It drives so much of our reactions, doesn't it? Yep. And that, and so you were exposed. I was exposed. Right. And that's, it's to, to be exposed is vulnerable. Man. And that we're not, again, much like pain. Yeah. We're not waking up every day thinking about how much can I expose myself. Right. To be embarrassed or ridiculed or, I mean, you're not wanting that, but nobody's (laughs) choosing, no one, but there is a, there is a walking into that or an embracing of that that's critical for your emotional health. Okay. Right. And we could unpack, not here, but we could unpack like even underneath what was going on, I think with Amy and, yeah. and you, but I think the, 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 the initial thing is, is just recognizing that, you know, again, you, you have to be willing to look at yourself objectively mm. and mm. take ownership so that you can actually allow yourself or be willing. I, I don't know, you know, allow yourself or be willing to just kind of, Hey, you know, it's embarrassing. These are the things that I've done in my life or I've felt in my life or yeah. I don't like being humiliated. Yeah. Right? So like you're kind of surrendering to it. Yeah. And then you're able to actually, I imagine that conversation with Amy, it was reconciled. Well, it was so interesting because as soon as I told the truth about the shame that I was feeling, she, it was like the walls that were between us were instantly right. dissipated right? because no longer I, I wasn't addressing her with anger. I was addressing her in the reality of what I was actually feeling. And she was like, Oh, honey, I'm, I, what's funny is how, how, um, when, when folks, uh, express their feelings of shame, how many people can connect with that? Like, Oh, I know that feeling. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, well, that's- so, yeah, we, we did have some, a, a good bit of reconciliation. Like the rest of our day was really good because of that right. interaction. Yeah. You know? And that's, so, you know, that's interesting that you said, uh, other people can connect with it. There's a, and this has stuck with me for years. Are you familiar with the book, the alchemist? I am. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, early on in that book, it's in the first 20 pages, I think. Uh, there's a line, um, that said, that goes, uh, the most personal is the most universal. Wow. Okay. Right. And yes. so from, uh, I think that's why when we hear stories of pain or o- people overcoming yeah. or people, it, even if you haven't experienced that particular thing, yeah, you resonate with what it is that they're, they've overcome or what it is that they've been through, right? Mm. Cause you have some semblance of 
I know something like that. Yeah. Right. So like, that's where I think personal story testimony or, uh, being willing to, to expose yourself and share, Hey, these are the things that I've taken ownership in my, of my life that I'm, that I'm really confident in and things that I'm not proud of. Sure. And the moment you do that, you notice there's this, Oh, okay. Me too. Right. Yeah. And there's this kind of release or relief in the room. Yeah. Right. It's like, yes. Oh, I'm not the only one. Right. 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 So it's almost like empathy creates conduits for connectivity. Sure. sure. You know, like, but, but it's almost like the empathy can't be given. It, it can't travel until at least one person kind of risks being vulnerable. Right. You know, risks telling the truth about themselves. Sure. Cause, uh, you know, when Robin and I were first talking about shame, we, we, we were, we were kind of dancing around this idea about, folks dealing with some kind of sin or like habitual bad habits right mm -hmm. and and shame shame comes two different ways from my perspective it comes because of things that we have done right but also by things that have been done to us right you know like i'm i'm just guessing like you know henry and i talked through this but like if i had left that I, I humiliated my son. Right. And if I had just left that, you know, like he goes to bed that night and he goes, you know, down the road a ways, but human beings are complex and we kind of carry that stuff within our, yep. ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And you'll, you'll find moments like that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying Henry will be in therapy, but like, those are the kinds of stories, right? right. That aren't reconciled. Yeah. Right. Like those are the moments that have anchored themselves in our psyche or our emotionals or in our mind, yes. our emotions or our mind that the stories that people remember. Wow. I have plenty of, of folks that I work with that were working through these painful memories. But if you can start to work through and, and update the trauma or the, the negativity around it, very oftentimes counter evidence, counter memories will, will surface too. I went through this the other day with a, a guy that I'm working with. Um, he remembered something like that. His dad, he really needed or wanted his dad's help with something specific. Mm. And his dad basically said no. Right. So like he, for whatever reason, yeah. we don't know why. I think he was eight years old. Yeah. He, he just remembers his dad. I don't, he doesn't love me. Like mm. that it was a belief that anchored in him mm. somewhere. And he's 38 now. Wow. Right. So 30 years. Yeah. But as we started to really work through that with some of these processes, uh, a thought came to mind. He said, I, now I'm remembering this moment where my dad put a note in my backpack and I hadn't remembered that for 30 years. Wow. Right. So it, it's really interesting as you expose some of these things yeah. and the, the shame or the darkness around them, uh, very oftentimes when they become free of them, memories like, you know, hopeful, positive, other meaningful memories that are counter to the shame. Yeah. Come up too. So was that, that I'm taking it that that note was a, a positive. Right. Yeah. It was telling him about how proud he was oh, of him. And how, right. On. So it's like, we don't know. That's the complex thing yes. with our kids. But when you know, mm. like you did with Henry, mm. like you knew as a father yes. that that was not a good moment. Right. That's on you. Yeah. To go reconcile with him. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, obviously we're adults and we have kids. Mm -hmm. So we can't necessarily have that with our parents. Sure. But being a parent, like mm. you can absolutely in moments like that, go reconcile it, go make it right. Hey, Henry, I was upset. Here's how I felt. I had just done the same thing. My reaction to you wasn't appropriate. Will you forgive me? Mm. 
yeah, dad, of course I forgive you, right? It, yeah, Adam, what keeps people, how do, I, how do I put this question? That moment that I had with my family, although it started very poorly, ultimately we had a real, um, we figured it out in a healthy way. Right. But I'm sure there's been plenty of times in our family where somebody has hurt somebody else. You know, I'm, and I put myself in this category. Why, why don't we always come to those good conclusions? Why, why do we sometimes hurt somebody and then just say, ah, never mind. It's, this is just too much. Is it, is it a lack of energy or is it a lack of humility or is it a lack? What is it? Yeah. I, I would say that it's, um, there's something anchored in, in wanting to either to, to hold power, right? Okay. So, or to be right. Okay. Like I'd rather be right than, than, than make this right with my spouse. Right. Wow. Or I'd rather look good. Right. So one way to think, you know, cliche statements, but, uh, defenses to look good, feel good be right or be in control. Wow. Right. So you could, you could probably take most moments where you're, when you know, there's a relational conflict with somebody. Yeah. And you know, I'm not in a place I'm bitter. I'm resentful or I'm mad. I'm hurt. And I don't want to make it right. Mm. Well, what are you gaining out of that? Probably one of those four things. Yeah. Well, I want to be right about this. Or yeah. I want to maintain control in the relationship. Yeah. Cause if I'm mad and I hold that against them, yeah. there's not a whole lot they can do. Right. Like you've closed yourself off. Wow. To, you know, hearing them or really empathizing with them or them even being able to get to you. Yes. Right. If I'm kind of anchored around, like I'm in control, you're not coming in my space. Mm. Right. So we do that emotionally, but it, you know, it creates these, these boundaries that people don't engage. So are you saying that there's a, there is a real potential in our relationships to maybe, maybe we are right and we want to stay justified in our rightness. It is possible to be right and not be in healthy relationship? Sure. So, you know, you can, you can be correct or right about a situation or a, some conflict or whatever was happening, but then it comes back to the way that you dealt with it, right? Yeah. It's like, I can, I don't want to say it on, I can, I can be a pain in the, in the butt. Yeah. And I can be right. Yeah. Or I can be kind and respectful to my yes. wife. And still be clear on my intention, right? Sure. So like my intention was to communicate this, the way that I did it, the words that I used, my mm -hmm. tone towards you was disrespectful or dishonoring, mm. right? So there's yeah. an element of, of learning to slow down and recognize. Like it doesn't mean that if you go to someone and you're trying to reconcile, it doesn't mean that you were necessarily wrong. Yes. But the way that, you know, like there was other ways you could have gone to Henry. Yeah. You could have gone to him and said, you know what, uh, you know, my, my frustration or my annoyance was not irrational in that moment necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Right. You just done the same thing. He watched you yeah. do it. Why did he do it? Yeah. Right. He didn't do it intentionally. No. But you could have said, Hey, next time you need to pay attention and not do what I do and get over or like, you could have been dismissive for sure. Right. Yeah. And you still would have been maybe right mm. in the irritation, mm -hmm. but your, your delivery or the way that you dealt with it or reconciled it with your son was not healthy. Yeah. He's, he, I could have said, I could have communicated my irritation without making him the object of my irritation. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 
which is how, which is actually how I really felt. I wasn't actually angry with him. He was just <laughs> there and I'm, yeah, wow. Well, man, we've kind of, we've kind of gone all over the place, but I'm, I am actually feeling this. Um, so let me ask you this question. And we did, we did, uh, go through some of this a little bit last time, or maybe we did a lot of this, but in the church, we talk about things from a spiritual perspective. I mean, because we actually do believe that, you know, although we have these physical bodies, there's a part of us that is actually spiritual. And, right. and, and it's not like there's these separate parts of us and they all are mutually exclusive of each other. It's like we are in intertwined beings, right? Right. So when, when we're, you know, whether it's Robin preaching or, or myself or any number of guests, uh, we're, we're definitely pushing into the spiritual perspective because we have a, in our hierarchy of values, we highly value the spiritual side of life, right? Um, but while many of the things that, uh, we are talking about, uh, see, they could seem to be a part of the abstract world. Could you give us some concrete methods that you use to help people gain strength? You know, cause I think a lot of the, the, the way we've been talking about is, uh, people, myself included, where we lack strength in an area. So for instance, I, I, in, in the scenario that we've already talked about today, I was lacking self-control mm -hmm. and strength in my mind to where irritation kind of overwhelmed me. And I lashed out towards some family members who didn't deserve that at all. Um, how, what would you say to me? Let's just say I'm sitting in your office. How would you, what, what ways could I practically gain, uh, self control? If that's the thing that I even need, I'm not sure that it is. I'm just using that as an example. Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, so practically, I mean, there's some exercises you can do. I'm not much of a homework, um, therapist per se, but, um, you know, part of it is you've got to be able to look at and get out in front of you. Again, things that are true, right? So I think from a practical, like you want to gain control. It's like, all right, what are actually the things? Like write them down. What are actually the things you don't have any control over? Yeah. Right? And then yeah. it's like, all right, what things do I actually have control over? And then you can, you can, when you're reading them, you, your, your body's going to respond in terms of emotion, right? So you can learn how to regulate your own emotion. I don't know if we have time to. No, we're good. Walk through that. But, we're good. Um, so that's a critical one. I'm going to go back to what we said last week. The gratitude, um, it centers you, right? There's a humility that comes with that. There's an appreciation that comes with that. Uh, it calms your, 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 it calms you down, your mm. system down, mm -hmm. the way you think about things, the way you feel about other people, the way you feel about yourself. Yeah. Um, there's one last phrase that I think is really important to, uh, and it'll, it's a good little catchphrase, uh, a line to remember in terms of your own emotional, if you really want to evaluate your emotional health, uh, there's a line, uh, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Interesting. 
And if so it, the, if it's hysterical, it's historical, it's historical, right? So we could even maybe use that moment with you and yeah. Henry. Yeah. It's like, and so the way that you can look at that and you can, you can watch yourself, like you can yeah. learn to watch yourself and watch other people. And so if, let's say that you, I was in that moment, right? Yeah. I was just watching your family. You're an observer. I was, I was just an observer. Yeah. And, um, let's say that you had not got your lure cut, caught in the tree. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you were already irritated that that occurred. That's right. Right. So you were, there was already some escalation in your That's body. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then. So let's say that you didn't do it mm-hmm. and then Henry did it mm-hmm. and you, w- you went off on him worse than maybe you had before. Yeah. And I'm watching it. Yeah. And a thousand other people watching it yep. objectively would be watching it and they'd say, why is he so, why is that emotion what just came out with that moment? Because they don't fit. Right. It doesn't make sense. Yes. So he, there I am acting hysterically, lashing out at my son just for simply getting his lure right, stuck. Right, right. Yeah. Rational, reasonable accident or mistake, right? right. When you're fishing. Yeah. Uh, you, it's no longer Andy in that moment. Wow. It's unresolved things that have just surfaced that Andy hasn't dealt with. So that could be traced back to, I mean, you could spend a while sure. trying to explore where does that kind of mm. um, anger or frustration or I don't know if I'd call it rage, but where did yeah. that come from? Because it doesn't fit. Right. So anytime you have a reaction emotionally and it doesn't objectively fit the what just happened, mm-hmm. it, you're no longer in the present. You're now dealing, and that happens all the time when I'm Gosh. working with couples. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, well, you know, they're, you know, we could get into that, but something, they make a comment and there's this, and I'm like, okay, we're not, <laughs> that's not the problem right now. Right. Something just got hit yeah. or activated that has not been dealt with. There's some kind of accumulation right. that's been exposed right yeah. then and, and so there. then here comes all the undealt with yeah. of that. And so then you'd have to slow it down and kind of work to try and understand where that. Okay, so if it's, I love that. If it's hysterical, it's historical. That really does help us. It, it, it gives us a little bit of a grid for some of our behaviors. Um, and, and, and you have given us, you know, a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, a few, a few tools, the, the, the gratitude thing. Um, so how do I know that I'm growing? Is, is it, is it that I just don't blow up as much? Is it as simple? Is it as simple as that? Like, like, how do I, how do I assess my strength levels on the inside yep, and, of me? Yep. That's so, um, last week I mentioned how, how I measured confidence. Okay. Right. So yeah. calm and assertive. Interesting. Right. So I would say that that's a, a great internal measure of, am I, am I dealing with things in a, in a healthy, appropriate, wow. reasonable way? Right. Yeah. So, Again, we can go back to that scenario with you and Henry, mm-hmm. right? So you could imagine yourself getting to a place where saying, man, he just got it caught in the tree. It was an accident. That's okay. Let me go help him get it out. Wow. Right? So that's calm. Yeah. Right? There may be a little bit of, ah, come on. Like, sure. But I can go actually help him. There's no lashing out at him. Yeah. There's no negative emotion that comes out. It's just a problem that needs to be solved. You can actually stay engaged. Mm. Um. You know, obviously the opposite of that, you could lash out or you could just leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's an, that's an irrational response. Yeah, like abandon him right, there. Right. Yeah. And that 
we've experienced that too. Sure. Yeah. So calmness is like uh, it's a it's like an indicator of of internal strength. Sure, and uh, and assertive. Okay. There's a, I think there is a difference of being. It's like being calm and assertive means you're calm and engaged. Okay. You're not, you're not avoiding, disconnected. You're not disconnected. Because okay. I could be sitting in the corner oh. and still feel pretty calm, but I'm not necessarily engaged in whatever it is that we're doing. Or That's that an important distinction yeah. Yeah. because I think I think especially for a lot of men, we'll stay calm, but we're not present. Sure. We're, we'll 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 quiet ourselves, but we won't engage. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would say I, they, they've got to go together. Interesting. So good. So is there anything else? Um, so calmness, assertiveness. assertiveness, is there anything else when it comes to assessing growth? Like yep. um, when it comes to strength, sure. growing in strength. Yeah, I would. So if you think emotionally uh, or if you think physically, um, how do we measure, uh, you know, a sign of health physically is flexibility. Mm. Oh, interesting. Right? Like yeah. if I can bend over and stretch and run, yeah. and it's like I'm ideally more healthy than I was if I couldn't do that. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said about flexibility with your emotions in terms of like how you deal with yourself, how you see yourself and how you deal with other people. Yeah. Right? So it's it's okay to be sad. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to contain that sadness, know why you're sad. Yeah. And then when when it's time to move on from that sadness, actually be able to do that, not to get... I'm sad and then be sad mm-hmm. forever. It's like, yeah. that's not a sign of health or strength. Right. But even to be able to get mad, you know what? I know I got mad. Mm. I know I got upset and irritated. That wasn't right. Yeah. I'm going to go back and make it right. So then you're moving back to a place of calm. So there's a, there's an element of, of recognizing the reality of your emotional state and the flexibility to maneuver between the two. Yeah. That's also neurologically, that's in critical too, because when you look at the two hemispheres of your brain, and I would even say your heart and your mind, mm. to move back and forth between the two. You're not supposed yeah. to just be in your mind because your heart matters, yeah. your motives, your values, um, to not only be driven by just your heart and your emotions. It's like yeah. you need to think critically and be disciplined in your mind to act things out as well. Right. But neurologically, right hemisphere, um, you know, emo- the emotion system, essentially, right? So uh, creativity, emotional awareness, emotional expression, left brain, productivity structure order mm. right so like you, you you ideally we want to be able to access both yes and move in between the two yes. and then essentially you'll see more stable grounded healthy people mm. adam this this might this is going to be a funny question okay have you, <laughs> have you ever met a person and just thought to yourself wow this person doesn't need therapy <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, of course. Um, I, look, I don't, would it be good for at some point in your life to, to go in and let somebody that, that you can develop a trusting relationship with yeah. and they can objectively, Hey, I don't, I don't necessarily have anything to gain or to lose by, by hearing your story and seeing where there might be some things you could, you know, piece yeah. together a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some humility in saying, Hey, I think you can go once or, yeah. you know, for a season. Yeah. Right. Um, but I don't, I also don't think therapy, when I meet people who have been in therapy for years, Mm -hmm. there's either they're, they're, they're looking for therapists that will just agree with them. So they've been coddled, which is dangerous. Sure. Or they're, they're avoiding actually dealing with things. So as soon as a therapist gets close, it's like, well, I'm going to find another one and, you know, spend some time and it looks like I'm working on. Right. 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 Um, 
So I don't, I don't think being in therapy, like ongoing yeah. is, is necessary. Um, but I also think there's some humility, um, to being willing to, you know, to humble yourself, to have some courage because it, it takes some guts yeah, to go in and, and, and look at some of that stuff. Well, we talked about it earlier. Nobody gets up in the morning looking to face their pain. Right. Right. But I think that if you are a person who is maybe just being worn out by uh, the way you relate to other people or just bad, bad personal habits sure. that, that flow out of the way that you think. And, and, you know, you've, maybe you've been to church your whole life or you've, you know, you've done all of the things that you know to do, but haven't yet talked to a therapist. I mean, it might be a good thing to, to try out. And, um, it's it is a little scary for people at first, sure, right? It's going sure. into an unknown thing, but I mean from my perspective it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's your perspective. Sure. As well. And and look, just as a, you know, the hardest thing with just about everything is starting. Yeah. That's right. Right? That's I mean, I don't maybe there's some things where that wouldn't be true, but I yeah. think most things it's like getting getting going the first attempt is, is the most challenging or the most difficult. So, uh, just keep that in mind. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you go once, it's like, okay, like this could be helpful. This could be positive. It's clear what we're trying to work on and deal with. Uh, and then you see some, some growth or some benefit from that. Yeah. Or you get feedback from others. Right. Right. I right. mean, if, you know, if you're getting healthier and someone else recognizes that, mm. like that's a very helpful thing for you to know. Yeah. Like other people recognize that there's been positive shifts in how I either see myself act towards myself, act towards others. Yeah. So uh, that's motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a risk. Um, it takes some courage. Um, hardest parts beginning. Well, I think of the metaphor that you started this conversation out with the story of the four friends who dropped their paralyzed friend to see Jesus to be healed so that he could be healed. I mean, there was so much risk, so much risk that was part of that story. And, but, but the outcome was healing, right? The outcome for that, for those, those people that took this risk on behalf of their friend, the outcome was that that man was who could not walk, could all of a sudden walk. And I, I just sense the Lord's heart in that story and especially the way you've explained, I've never heard that story explained that way before. And I just love it because what it really represents is it represents a community working together toward health. Right. And I, I believe that even though we are in a very strange moment, uh, that there's an opportunity here we're we're really presented right now with an opportunity for healing to take place in our lives that maybe we just didn't have before because we were so busy running around in our sure. lives. Yeah. Um. And so just to just to close us out, Adam, how would a person go about finding a good therapist? Sure. Um. Well, so I I use this. Uh, I learned this from a. 
a, a mentor of mine in LA when I was out there, but um, some practical questions, right? So if you called somebody, I mean, obviously you can go online. There's, yeah. there's psychology today or there's websites you can, you know, Google therapist. Yeah. Or That's one way. Uh, ask your friends. Yeah. Ask couples that, you know, who yep. might have gone to, to therapy and mm-hmm. it was beneficial and they had a meaningful and positive and helpful experience with that therapist. Then you've got some resources there. Um, but if you're really trying to find somebody, I think it, there should be questions that a therapist um, should be able to answer mm-hmm. and they should be clear, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, it, you know, and so some of those questions uh, that I would encourage you to ask, uh, how do people change? Um, this is the client asking, asking the, the therapist. therapist right? yeah. So how do, what do you, what's your stance? So like, how do you actually see people getting better? Yeah. Like they should be able to have some kind of articulated response to that. Yes. Um, you know, uh, what they should do in, uh, if they have any kind of, um, concern or uh conflict with the actual therapy mm. what should they do um and the, uh, hopefully a therapist response would be like i need you to tell me yeah because if you're not engendering a, an element of trust and like hey i need to know when something's not right or wh- you don't agree with something that i say or you don't right. want to do something that we're moving towards mm. like there's an element of trust that needs to be established uh and then I, we talked about this um last week was uh, the connection between faith and therapy, mm-hmm. right? How does somebody integrate those two things? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be an important value for you that yep. those two things are working together. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. I, well, I don't see how, if you're going to talk about legitimate health yeah. and strength in people and yeah. their hearts and their minds, I don't, I don't see how they can be separate. Right. Meaning like, I don't, I don't think you could have health with just faith. Yeah. I don't think you can have health with only therapy. Wow. Like, I don't think that's where the, the, the four corners comes in. Yeah. Like, so when, if somebody comes to me and I've run into this with clients, I've worked with them for a period of time. And I think we've done the work that we can do. Mm-hmm. Like I've carried my corner as far as I can tell that we can go. Yeah. They need community. Ah. They need a relationship with God. They need to have in a place like this, or it doesn't matter, you know, sure. where they can be connected and they can learn and they can learn to trust who God is and, and what he's about and the sacrifices that he made. Like if that's void, yeah, you're going to run into some kind of wall with clients, no matter what. Like, I don't care what kind of technique. Sure. You know, I could have every technique in the world. Yeah. But there's going to be an element where that person's life, I think um, they get stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I, I mean, that's again, the, the four corners, like you need them all. So when I'm working with people, as healthy as we're getting, like it's constantly pushing them back into their faith community. Because wow. they're going to add, if they're healthier, yeah, they're going to add to the community. They're mm-hmm. not going to take from the community. That's right. Right? So then, yeah. they're, then the community gets stronger. Mm-hmm. And so then they've got something to offer and they can be generous and they can serve or do whatever they need to do. Uh, and that impacts other people. Hey, you know, you weren't like this a year ago. What happened? Mm-hmm. Well, I went to therapy and I'm, you know, I'm more put together than I was. Wow. Right? Well, yeah. well, okay, so maybe that person would go and do the same. And then the community gets healthier, which means... And actually, it starts with the family. Yeah. You know, if your marriage and your kids are healthy, and then it's going to grow into your community, and the community is going to grow, and that's going to impact the city and the mm-hmm. state, and however, you know, it evolves mm-hmm. from there. But yeah. Could somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to? Yeah. How, how would they do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, our website, you can go to um, it's encountertransformation.com. Um, you, you know, you can check out that website and. Yeah. Uh, encountertransformation.com. Yep. 
All right. Well, that's, that's awesome, Adam. I really appreciate you talking with us. I mean, I, it, I've, I felt, especially on the second episode, it just felt like you just were on a roll this sure. time. So There's I a lot more we could talk about. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, Queen City, uh, we love you. Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Queen City Sermon of the Week. For more information about this recording and other resources, go to queencity.church and follow us on Instagram for live services Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m.